Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and you're in for a special treat today. We're interviewing a local investor here in the St. Louis market who's doing big things all over the country. And we're going to be talking to Robert Hader from Core Properties. And uh, I'm glad he's here. First things first, guys, got a couple books I want to give you away. I want to give away to you for free. One of them is Wholesaling Lease Options. And the other one is called REI Secrets, Daily Nuggets of Real Estate Investing Wisdom to Help You Get More Leads, Close More Deals. Each of these chapters are about two to three pages long, all killer, no filler. And you can read one each day, like this one, How to Wholesale Deals as an Agent. What's that all about? So I designed these things to just be quick little daily nuggets of wisdom that you can read, get some inspiration, get some ideas on how you can actually get out there and close more deals, get more leads, close more deals. And this one tells you how to flip lease options. You can get both of them for free. If you go to WLO Book, get this one, wlobook.com. You can get this one at reisecrets.com. Highly recommended. And they're free. You just pay a little bit of shipping and handling and I'll send them out to you, okay? And if you're listening to this on iTunes, I appreciate you guys leaving a review. Subscribe to the show, leave a review. Love to um, see how it's going, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. I think you can also leave reviews on Stitcher. I'm not sure if there's any other podcasting platform that lets you leave reviews, but I really, really appreciate you leaving some reviews. And one more thing for you. I just announced this to some people on my list who have some of my courses the other day. I have a book I did called um, Making Extra Money Flipping Houses While on Vacation that came from a video I did from a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jason Medley. You know him, Robert, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. He interviewed me. I did this video. I just got back from either Prague or our RV chart. I think it was Prague. And he just interviewed me, and I opened up my everything to say, this is how I do deals while traveling. And he turned it into a book called Making Extra Money While Flipping Houses on Vacation. And I also did an all-day Saturday workshop on how to do lease options. And I'm giving those away for free for anybody who wants to leave me a review. And this is how it works. You have to get your phone, get your smartphone, and go to reviewjoe.net. If you're from your phone, go to reviewjoe.net, and it'll open up a window where you can um, record just a quick video testimonial. And uh, let me know what you think of the podcast, of the books, of the courses, of the coaching, of the whatever. Like if anything I've done has helped you, I'd love to hear about it. And if you go to reviewjoe.net from your smartphone, Android or iPhone, doesn't matter. Go to reviewjoe.net. You leave me a video review. I'd really, really appreciate it. And as a way to say thank you, I'm going to send you access to that book and also the all-day Saturday workshop video series on how to flip lease options. All right. Sorry for the long introduction, Robert. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad you're here, man. It looks like you're in a hotel room. You're in, uh, where are you right now? I'm in Las Vegas. Yeah, Las nice. Vegas here for a mastermind. Yeah. Oh, I love masterminds, right? And uh, we used to be in one together, Collective Genius, am I right? Kind of. I was. Kind of. Uh, I went to a few of the different events. I was never really in the group, but I, I did go to uh, a few of the events. And, and then uh, yeah. we met at, met at, I think, uh, Sean Terry's event a while back, too. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not in Collective Genius anymore either. Not for any bad reason. I just got tired of traveling so much. And I like St. Louis, you know, don't you? 
Yeah. Yeah. St. Louis is great. You know, it's, uh, I'm still at that phase, right? I kind of like traveling from, from time to time, but, but no, I definitely do like St. Louis. I like the, you know, you got your Cardinals hat on big Cardinals fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing too. Like I just went, I was just in New York city a couple of weeks ago with my family. I went to Tampa just the other day for a workshop and I've been, I could literally say almost to all 50 States and I do travel a lot. And I'm telling you, there's something really, really nice about the Midwest. It's simpler. You know, I was in rush hour traffic the other day mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't believe how much space was in between the cars when you're coming <laughs> from New York City. It's just like, you know, everybody's blaring their horns. Tampa's crazy also because it's just anyway, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I love the Midwest. I love St. Louis and it's a great place to raise a family. It's a great place to invest um, as well. So can you talk about Robert? Tell us your story. How did you get started in real estate? What were you doing before that? Yeah. So um, I was in banking and really wanted to get kind of lightly involved in real estate. Um, I had the goal of, of owning a two family and leasing one of the units out and having it pay, you know, majority of my expenses. But I got out of college in 04 and moved back to St. Louis in I think late 05, maybe 06. And so the market was just on fire. It was crazy. So at that time I was just really frustrated. I couldn't find any deals. I couldn't find anything that made sense. I really didn't know where to go to even look for it, you know, to find deals. I was just kind of, you know, ticking along there looking for, for for sale by owner signs and whatnot. And really kind of kind of put a, a damper on on the jump start. So I really didn't start investing until I think probably late 08 or early 09 after the recession kind of hit and and things were, you know, banks were dumping properties and things like that. So yeah. Started doing that. I was doing it on the side while I was in banking. And then I quit banking in 2013 full time into real estate investing. Okay. 2013. What kind yeah. of banking were you doing? I was primarily doing commercial real estate lending. So larger commercial real estate projects. I lived in Chicago for a while out of college and worked for a bank called the Sal Bank, which was the North American arm of, of the seventh largest bank in the world at the time. Um, I don't know if you remember the old LaSalle Bank Chicago Marathon back in the day. No. It's like a, a big run. But, but yeah, so I was there for uh, about a year in Chicago, moved back to St. Louis. There was an office in St. Louis. So I came back and, and was working there and uh, like our average deal size would have been about, I think, 10 million or so, 10 million plus. And then we got bought by Bank of America. Everyone left and I followed one of the senior folks from LaSalle to a bank called the Business Bank of St. Louis and was there for about five and a half years. Okay. So mostly in St. Louis. There as well. Yeah. Back in St. Louis. Okay, cool. Are you a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan? Cardinals fan. Yeah. Big okay, Cardinals good. fan. All right. Yeah, we can we can continue the interview now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was only in Chicago for for a year, and even if I was there for ten years, it wouldn't have changed. Okay, but I'll tell you what though, I was in I lived in Chicago when the uh, White Sox won the World Series. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, that they, no, that's uh, good. They had uh, the ticker tape parade. I don't know if you ever ever heard of those, but like in the big city, but like oh, yeah. in Chicago, the old at the old buildings, the windows open. And ticker tape, like, you know, like stock exchange, the ticker tape, you know. Yeah. Well, they would give all the folks like this confetti and you'd throw it out the window. Like 30, 40, 50 stories up. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, it, was, uh, it was something. Um, so like even in Chicago, like when the White Sox won the World Series, were, were people as excited about it? You know, like was there, did anybody even show up? <laughs> the chicken tape parade like i mean yeah turn turns out it was a pretty crazy crowd but you know i think maybe it's just pent up for so long uh i i was in chicago speaking at aria 
uh, talking about real estate. I was, and, and it was like the week after the Cardinals won the World Series mm. and this 2011. And I was very, very happy. And I definitely rubbed it in. And I didn't do that well in sales that day <laughs> when I was selling my course, but I didn't care. Anyway, Robert, so I'm sure that that banking experience helps you has helped you a lot in real estate, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it helped as we scaled into commercial real estate lending. And as we looked at kind of building a rental portfolio and things like that, obviously um, having the banking knowledge helped on that, on that level. Um, it almost maybe stifled me a little bit on the wholesaling side, you know, um, okay. trying to get my mind around that. And, you know, it's just a, you know, wholesaling is more of a sales and marketing business. And, and it took me a long time to realize that you didn't have to add value to, to create the income. Like it seemed like you had to be doing something and that might be a Midwestern thing too, you know, kind of land of broad shoulders. You got to work to make sure. it. Um, yeah. So, but, but overall, yeah, it, it absolutely helped. All right. So talk about, you started doing um, houses at first, right? Mm -hmm. And this was around 2013, 2014. Yeah, I mean, I was buying, um, I was rehabbing houses from about 20, about 2009 forward okay. and was building a, a rental portfolio while I was in banking. But in 2013, I, I left banking. I had about 20 rental properties or so and was rehabbing a couple of houses a year on the side. Did you have enough income from the rental properties to cover your daily expenses? You, you know, no, um, I didn't. You know, I mean, rental properties are, you know, it's, it's tough to get that income up to enough to really make it work until you get, get it to a good quantity. And, you know, it, it's kind of hot and cold in some degree, too, with, with repairs and whatnot. But, uh, but I did, uh, back then, I was listening to Sean Terry's Flip to Freedom podcast a lot. So I was able to kind of set aside enough income to, to withhold for a year. So I kind of had that um, oh, set aside nice. for quitting. Yeah, that was the Dang, goal. I, and and that's, that's fantastic. A lot of people try to get started wholesaling while they're still working their jobs. And I understand you've got to do that. But it sure is nice when you can have a little nest egg to protect yourself, right? While you're kind of learning the business. How quickly did you pick up the whole wholesaling concept? Was it was kind of foreign to you? You said a little bit you didn't understand it needed to be as as, as much of a, a sales and marketing business, a people business. You know, negotiating with sellers who are in difficult situations sometimes. How was that transition for you? Initially, like I said, I was doing mostly rehabs, and and honestly, I didn't really even know what wholesaling was until maybe early 2012 when I started listening to Sean Terry's podcast and kind of got some understanding through that. And I really quit banking before I'd ever really wholesale the deal. I was just, you know, I was rehabbing. I thought I could make enough money rehabbing houses if I could do, you know, four or so a year and then had some passive income coming in from the rentals and was trying to grow that. And then when I learned about wholesaling through, through kind of Sean's podcast and started digging into it more, then I realized, okay, well, if all these people can do it, I'm sure I can figure it out. And, and just wanted to build that as an avenue. I'll tell you what, I did struggle a bit out of the gate finding the right marketing channels and keeping up with the consistency of, of you know, mailing and, and some of those aspects. So it took me probably 18 months to really kind of get in a groove and start getting some legs with it. What, what were you trying to do at the time in terms of marketing, getting, getting leads? At that time, it had been primarily paper mail, you know, just been just flat out paper mail, you know, trying to figure out the right lists and then kind of understanding the consistency of it, of, of mailing at least five, six, seven times before kind of evaluating too deep, tracking your numbers, so you really know what's going on and, you know, getting the KPIs lined up and then 
I think my expectations maybe were a little out of line. It took me a long time to realize that, you know, 1% response rate or half of 1% was, was a pretty good rate. <laughs> I, expected, I expected it to be a lot higher. But, uh, yeah, that's frustrating, you know, um, and it's still right about there today, isn't it? The same. Yeah, well, for me, it's gone down um, on the paper mail side. Obviously, some other channels have been, have worked better, but, you know, we're at about point about a third of a percent on a response rate on paper mail. But I think we've gotten a lot better. And I say that and we track it on an annual basis. Right. So I bet you if we actually went back and now that we've gotten a lot better over the years at follow up, I bet you if I went back and tracked it on a multi year basis, you know, some of the marketing from three years ago, you know, that produces today. I don't go back and re-establish it with, yeah. with that original campaign. So it probably could be higher if I went and looked at it a different way. Would you agree, Would you, if somebody was wanting to get started in the business and they weren't committed to at least three to six months of consistent direct mail, then you shouldn't even start, like just save your money and do something else? Absolutely, 100%. And that was a big piece to, to get my mind around back then. And, and now I've absolutely realized that. I mean, we get called on mailers, like I said, that are, two or three years old that folks saved, which blows my mind because I'm sure they've gotten hundreds and hundreds of mailers that they yeah. saved mine, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you got to hit the folks at the right time and you never know when that right time is going to be. And it really, you know, obviously there are, what I've realized now, <laughs> I've, you know, being in it for, for a fair amount of time now is that, you know, you kind of have your niche lists of folks that would typically be a little bit more motivated or be in a position that they'd want to sell sooner. And then you kind of have your broad lists um, that you're kind of blanket mailing and <clears throat> really just kind of understanding the difference of those and the quantity of mailers that you need to put out and timing and, and all of that. But if you're not going to do it, I would say well over three times, if you're not going to do it six, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't jump yeah. into it. Cause it's a, it's a game of momentum, isn't it? Because a lot of the deals we're doing today are not from the new marketing that we're doing today. It's from the marketing we've been, we started three, six months ago with that seller. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so talk about uh, the because the response rate is so slow or small on direct mail. What are you doing to with the leads as when they do come in? Are you answering the phones live? Are they going to voicemail? Yeah, we we answer them live, and honestly, we've been digging this really deep because with with quantity and as we've been scaling. So we'll buy. Our goal was was two hundred houses this year. We're gonna come up a little bit short. I think when it really shakes out by year end, we'll be about congratulations. That's 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 amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll be about 180 or so, um, 182. You know how it really shakes out at year end. So we're doing a a pretty good amount of volume. So we've been answering the phones live for a long, long time, but now we're kind of getting to the point where, where the we've realized that there are peak times where the quantity of calls coming in exceed who we have available, and and we've been digging deeper into kind of what those backup channels for, for answering live are, but, but to answer your question, yes, I think when, if you're going to spend the money on mailing, yeah. I think you do everything you can to answer it live. And I think it's as simple as this, as your good competitors are answering live. So you need to, you know, whether you, yeah. whether you want to or not, I mean, from 99% of the channels, you know, you're probably not for the folks that are doing bandit signs, probably not answering those live from the folks that are doing RBMs, you know, they're probably not answering those live, but your real standardized mail marketing channels, you, pre- you, need to, you need to answer those live because we are, and I know the other good folks around the country are doing everything they can to answer them live. I mean, so much so that we're lining up secondary and tertiary live answering sources to make sure that things don't slip through the cracks. Yeah, very good. Uh, about how much mail are you sending a month? You know, not as much as you think, maybe about 
eight to 10,000 pieces a month. You know, we've been, we've been experimenting on a lot of other marketing channels. We've always been big on the web. You know, just PPC has been a channel that's worked well for us. It is an expensive channel, but we've had good success with it. We've got, I think, more exit strategies on, on you know, properties than, than most folks. So we're able to capitalize on, on lead, you know, leads differently than a lot of people and so on and so forth. Um, organic web leads. I know that's not something that a lot of folks in our industry dig into, but at scale, I think it's a really, really good, you know, avenue to, to be in, especially if you're in it for the long game. Yeah, you know, social media marketing and whatnot, but so only about ten thousand mail pieces because we're we're digging. We do a lot of other marketing channels. What are some of your favorites? You mentioned PPC. Is that still <clears throat> PPC? Still works well for us. It's one of our more expensive channels, like I said. But you know, um, it's a follow up game too. I think follow up is one of the biggest things that people drop the ball on that yeah. will make up so much of your of your deal flow. But PPC has been good for us. Social media marketing these days is really starting to work. A year and a when half you, When ago. you say that, what do you mean? Social media marketing? Facebook marketing primarily. You know, we're dabbling into Instagram, but haven't had it work too terribly well yet, but I think it will at some point. You know, I, I think if you dig deep into like what channels your avatar seller is, you know, age group and, and, and demographic, then just kind of find the avenue. I think LinkedIn will work well. We haven't got it up and going yet, but it seems to me with the aging population, folks are moving to senior living, that'll be a good avenue with kind of targeting their kids, targeting the most responsible children of the aging parents, things of that nature. You know, but Facebook primarily has been our, our avenue on social. You've done a really good job of getting, of leveraging organic with Google. And, you know, like on your website, if you Google, or if you just Google your company name, you see really good reviews from Google. Um, you've got a physical location. It shows uh, your reviews from Facebook. Um, reviews from your Better Business Bureau reviews are really, really good. It seems like you guys are doing a good job with, you know, asking for testimonials and getting reviews from people. And that probably helps a little bit too, doesn't it? It does. It does. Because I mean, to be totally honest, just like anything, whether it be a restaurant or any other kind of venue, you know, majority of the folks that organically go and put reviews in are the people that were upset about something, you know, and more times than not, whether true or not, but people just are, are more likely to talk negative than they are positive. So yeah, we go out and ask for the folks that are happy as, as much as possible to you know just let people know because especially in, in the industry, I think a lot of folks kind of think of it as you know kind of used car salesmen or fly by night kind of stuff or you know the yeah. folks that the the roofing companies that come into town every time a hailstorm hits and, and things like that. So you know it's like hey, if we helped you and you feel good about it and you were happy with the transaction and the relationship. You know, just simply say that we we definitely that we go through waves of being active and actively asking, and then six months will go by and we'll for, we'll forgot to ask and we'll have to go back and <laughs> and kind of build it back up. But but yeah, it's something that we we actively do. You know, it's funny. Do you know how long you've had that domain STL Wholesale Homes? At least five years. I, would I, guess. I, I think I used to own it. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I think <laughs> I used to own it like back. 10 years ago or something. Oh, is that right? But I was doing mainly lease options, you know, so I just kind of let the domain die. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good domain. So that's that's your main website where you're looking, you're selling your properties, right? It looks like you, you have join our VIP buyers list, view inventory. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's it then. Yeah, STL Wholesale Homes. Yep, 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 yep. I want to ask you about like what kind of homes are do you target? What kind of areas or neighborhoods do you like to go after? Well, I mean, the easiest properties to to deal with or to sell on a wholesale basis are the high rental areas, the areas where you know, you know, if you can wholesale property to a rental a rental buyer, 
that's an easier transaction in most cases. You know, they buy a greater yeah. quantity, oh, yeah. know exactly what they want. They don't have to pay a sales commission on the backside. So the spread can be a little bit, you know, a little bit thinner, a little bit easier to wholesale because they don't, you know, you can cut 5% out of the, of the expenses for the set for the buyer. And uh, so, you know, North for, for St. Louis, you know, North County is, is a good spot. South City is a good spot. St. Charles County, even parts of South County that, that still work, you know, like Lima and Afton and, and those areas. Although like any of them, the better areas then start to turn and then, you know, maybe it makes more sense to start rehabbing those homes. You see prices start to escalate. But uh, overall, those are primary areas in St. Louis. But I think that that strategy works nationally. Just the areas where you have more rental buyers, a little bit easier to, to sell at quantity. Yeah. So, and you're not targeting the really bad areas, like with, with the properties are selling for five, 10 grand. No, not really. That's not really our niche. You know, we'll do some areas where they sell for 20 or 25 grand, but uh, you know, um, Bell Fountain and Hanley Hills and certain areas in St. Louis, but yes, below that, we're not doing a whole lot. I mean, if a deal sneaks in, as, as you probably know, with social media and with, with PPC and web, you can't be quite as targeted to specific areas. So if a deal comes in and it could be something and we'll go and look at it with the exclusion of North city, we try and stay out of the really high crime, kind of scary areas. But, uh, but you know, if a deal for five grand sneaks in, we will probably do it from time to time. I'm looking at your website here. Is it an REI black book website or do you even know? I do know the STL wholesale homes on this. So we kind of have it, you know, core properties, STL is our buy side, right? Mm-hmm. That's where that's where sellers are going. SEL wholesale homes is our sell side. So that the SEL wholesale homes is a a REI Black Book website. Yeah, Josh Harris built it for us when he was kind of working on a consulting basis. So it's a it's a the back end is REI Black Book, but it's customized kind of with our cool. color scheme and and some of that. So a little bit different than most of them, but but it does definitely work off REI Black Book. Yeah, very good. And so that's is that your main CRM? It's it's starting to be. We've had Podio for a long, long time, and I think we're starting to kind of get worn out with it. Been working with Damon and, and Josh quite a bit more, and currently working with them to do something to to kind of incorporate some of the some of the things that we need at scale into what our Blackbook can do. And they're receiving it well. And I think I think in the near future we'll, we might have something worked out and kind of Good. rolled out. We're kind of bouncing yeah, between both right now, which is not ideal. And REI Blackbook's a St. Louis-based company. I'd love to make that work and kind of keep it in town. You know. Damon's a good guy. I, I like REI Black Book a lot. Absolutely. Um, okay, so talk about co-wholesaling. You, a lot of guys bring you deals, don't they? Because yeah, you've got a yeah. good buyer's list. You're an active investor. What percentage of your deals do you wholesale come from other uh, investors, other wholesalers? You know what? Um, not as many as I'd like. You know, uh, We've been making a big push to do more of that, and it's starting to work. So I'd say right now, maybe 5%. But okay. um, I would think, you know, going into 2020, we're going to be making a much bigger push to do to do more of that. You know, our buyer list is growing, especially the more national exposure we get and the more more events that we go to. And we're meeting folks from the West Coast in particular that are coming out and looking and getting, you know, the, a lot of the, the hedge funds that are buying these days. You know, they kind of they kind of are starting to work more like commercial real estate companies where they kind of have preferred groups to go through so that they're not just kind of getting onesies and twosies and building some pretty good relationships with some of the funds that are still buying actively in St. Louis. And, and uh, I think that'll be a much bigger avenue on the coal wholesaling side than we've been able to kind of leverage in the past. You know, if you like to travel, it reminds me of a guy I met and I forget who they were. They were St. Louis investors and they would hold these meetups every month in California. 
So they would start a meetup and they would, the, the title would be different every month, but it was usually along the lines of how to find profitable out of town deals that cash flow, you know, uh, how to manage rental properties virtually or across the country or in other states, or how to find good cash flowing rentals that give you eight to 10% on your money or whatever, right? Right. They would go and do these meetups in California that go for a week and do like four or five of them um, or more. And they would just teach investors in California how to pick a property manager, how to find the deals, how to rehab them, how to manage them, how to manage the manager. And by the way, if you're looking for somebody to do all this for you, here's a brochure, here's a pamphlet. You know, they had a really nice professionally done booklet talking about the houses they have currently, the inventory that they've sold in the past and, and um, all is really good. And so that's how they would get their buyers is bringing, doing these live events. Yeah. That's something to be said about that. Once you're in the business and you've got good buyers, you start spreading the word around. That's how we were doing. When I was doing the most deals in St. Louis, uh, Rick Hine and I were working together. That's what we did. We just started telling everybody, hey, we've got a million dollars burning a hole in our pocket. We need deals. We, we, we acted like we were the new hedge fund in town. And yeah. we kind of were because we had so many buyers that had money, right? So people started bringing us their deals. That's I wanted to ask cool. you about the, the, the direct mail that you do do. What are some of your favorite mailing lists that you like to get? You know, um, vacants, it's always been a pretty good one to some degree. As lame as it sounds, absentee owner still seems to work really well. You know, I think it's just kind of targeting the right group and the right mail piece. I think, I think understanding something like absentee, you know, if folks have homes, they don't want to walk tenants, you know, they have tenants in there, they don't want to walk you through. So kind of figuring out the right sales phase and then how to handle that. Gosh, let me think through this. You know, we still do a fair amount of driving for dollars, you know, actually going out and targeting. I, I don't know why people don't do that more. Um, Are you guys doing any cold calling? We do a little bit. Yeah. That's been an avenue we've been kind of tiptoeing into and figuring it out. We had a couple of folks in house and we've been, we've been experimenting with, you know, kind of out of market cold calling groups, like yeah. thousand calls a day and, and some of these different groups that do that. But yeah, and it's, and it, it's a, it's a, Almost like a paradigm shift. It's an interesting lead. It's a different kind of lead that comes in from those. But I think I think they you, work pretty well. You want some advice to save yourself a lot of money? Yeah. Hassle. Let's hear it. Get your own VA from the Philippines. Does the cold calling for you. Don't let them mm-hmm. work for somebody else. Get them from the Philippines. Post a job on Upwork. We're looking for a telemarketer to do cold calls for us. I don't know what tool you use. Maybe Mojo Sales is what we like. And just say you need to have Mojo Sales experience. Mm-hmm. or there's like call tools is another good one and just you know hire five of them test them see which ones are the best and, and then keep them let the other ones go you need to have somebody working dedicated just for you and i wouldn't like them work more than on the phone more than three or four hours a day there's a real efficiency drop after they've been on the phone for longer than three or four hours a day uh, you know then you got them you know there you can listen to their recorded calls you can help them, train them, have somebody on your team communicate with them every day, you know, mm-hmm. checking in, how did it go, tracking their numbers, listening to their recorded calls. That's what we do. We've got like 45, 50 cold callers right now in the Philippines. About th- We're using about three or four of them for our own deals in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other 40 or so are working for our students, um, our coaching clients. And we don't upsell any of that. They, they pay them the- directly. Yeah. But, um, you know, you would think, this is our fear, like going into Alabama, especially the whole thing of, you know, people down South wouldn't be, wouldn't like to hear a foreign accent on a cold call, you know, that's maybe Asian or Filipino. 
Right. And it's, it's been unfounded. It's, it's um, not, not a big deal at all. And these guys, they're talented, they're hardworking. They, uh, they do really, really good work, you know, and all they do is we give them a simple script and they just try to find somebody that has a house to sell. And then they, they, they give us the lead at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. And all, and all we're doing is we're calling mainly absentee owners with equity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let, let me ask you another question. Do you look, are you doing anything in small towns like around St. Louis, Illinois, Missouri? Not <laughs> the short answer is no. Well, I shouldn't say that if leads sneak in from PPC and, and non-targeted channels, we'll, we'll try and work them. We are not actively at the current, you know, currently, although I realize that there's a hole and, and we should be focusing on it. It's just um, kind of getting it in the timeline to, to add those new avenues. Um, I, I, mean, I, said, I think your response rate is going to be substantially better. I think the folks are going to, their expectations are going to be different. I think there's probably huge, huge benefits to doing it. I'm telling I'm getting more and more excited about small towns myself. I was even talking to Chris Chico the other day and he does a lot of Facebook ads. He teaches people how to do Facebook ads and he's been testing this in his own market. He's talking about it on his YouTube channel. So I don't have any problems sharing it, but basically kind of by accident, it's gotten really, really hard to target zip codes for your Facebook ads, right? Or your Google ads even sometimes. Yeah. They, so he they just limited that by accident. He just started targeting the entire state of Florida. Facebook pays the, you get that Facebook charges you per click, right? So they want to give you as many clicks as possible. You're going to get more clicks in the smaller areas, the smaller towns with less competition for those keywords. Right. Mm -hmm. So we started noticing a lot of leads coming in from small towns in the middle of, in the middle of Florida. And he started talking to the sellers, find out that they weren't, there wasn't much competition for those leads. He started getting them under contract, started wholesaling them and found it was easier. And then he starts, starts having students that are doing the same thing. And so it's something I've not done yet, but I really want to look at doing is, you know, instead of just targeting St. Louis or Kansas City or Columbia, some of the bigger cities in Missouri, why not just target the whole state and see what happens? Mm -hmm. And I've been, uh, you know, Larry Goins, did you ever meet him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy what he's doing. He's, he's, he's intentionally ignoring the big MSA of Charlotte and going out three or four counties out all the way around him doing deals in small towns of like three, 4,000 people. He says it's easier. It's so much easier, man. He said, all you need, his only criteria is it has to have a dirt road and it needs to be within 30 minutes of a Walmart or a Piggly Wiggly or a Dollar General or something like that. Gets bigger discounts, still sells them just as easily to investors, to a lot of mattress money in some of these towns. Yeah, that's, that's something I've been... And he does them, he, you, you negotiate them on the phone. We use mobile notaries to go to the house or wherever the seller is. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is something that we've been doing with our, in Alabama ourselves. And what we're seeing, what we're encourage, encouraging a lot of our coaching students to do as well. Oh, it sounds fantastic. How, and I would guess on the buy side, it would be much easier. The sell side is what I would assume would be very difficult. How, how are you guys getting past that? You'd think so. Facebook marketplace, Craigslist. You know, if they have a local newspaper, put an ad in the paper and signs, a sign in the neighborhood and in the yard. And, you know, usually if you, it's funny, you can go and pull absentee owners who have purchased properties in those counties in the last year. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can send them, you can send them direct mail. You can look up their phone number and call them, but there are investors buying houses in these small towns. You can find them. You can call landlords, property managers, and worst case, your last resort, if you wanted, is just hire a realtor to market the homes for you. 
But most mm. of these, you know, uh, talking to Larry and what we're seeing, it's like, it's amazing. You would think who would want to buy a property in this little town of 10,000 people. There's people that want to live there and they were looking for another house. So they have the in-laws living with them and they, or their, or their 23 year old kid and they want to help him get out of the house. So there's a lot of mattress money and they're buying these properties. You know, typically we're on the lower end. We're looking for homes at a hundred thousand dollars or less. Right. But it's, it's crazy how well it works and, and we're, how fast we're selling them. It's, it's pretty amazing. And think- just like anywhere market, you start building a buyer's list of people, of investors that are looking for properties there. You know, when you get a house, you can mail all the neighbors. You can mail, mail later, letters to all the neighbors. Anyway, wow, that's, to think that's, about. Do you kind of reverse it where you start looking for the buyers in those towns first or do you wait to get a deal and then try and find the buyer? Wait for to get the deal. Yeah. And, and we're buying them at such ridiculous discounts. It's like, it's almost, it's hard not to find buyers because you buy them so cheap. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I've learned a lot of this from Larry Goins, who's doing this in, in North Carolina. And so we started doing it in Alabama and Georgia. And I've not done it in Missouri, just because I don't have anybody right now to handle these leads for me. And I don't need a, I don't have time to train a team or hire another acquisitions manager for wholesaling deals. But something to think about. Yeah. I think you guys could crush it if you start looking outside of St. Louis into the small towns. No competition. You know, the crazy I, uh, thing too about that too, a lot of these sellers, they're a lot nicer. You know, they're not getting huge stacks of mail and uh-huh. they're friendlier, you know? Yeah. Anyway. It's, as you're talking, it's just frustration setting in because it's like, why, why, why are we not already doing it? No, I'm with you. I think it's a fantastic way. Even in Illinois, I know, you know, there's this, I talk about this sometimes. There's kind of like this divide between Illinois and the Missouri side in St. Louis, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, you can still do deals in small towns, Illinois. All right. Let's, let's change gears a little bit. You're starting to do bigger and bigger deals, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. uh, you're starting to actually get into some com- commercial deals. Talk about that, Robert. Why, why not just stay with houses for the rest of your life? You know, why, why go to other types of real estate? Well, so on the commercial side, um, there's a hell of a lot less competition, one, and it's hard to get enough rental, single family rental units or, two families and four families to produce enough income to really have a passive income stream. You know, you got to have quite a bit and then, you know, you've got a hundred or 150 and then you've got 150 tenants and, you know, we've done everything we could on the single family side to try and get longer term leases, but it's just harder and harder. Um, so much of the competition will do one year lease. So you have all of this rollover all the time and just creates a, a pain. And then, so it's, and then if you buy 20 or 30 single family homes, you're kind of up to a dollar amount and in, in which you're in a commercial realm anyway. And a lot yeah. of degrees, you know, you just don't really think you are. You have 30 tenants and, uh, you know, if you've got, let's say they're $50,000 houses and uh, and you own 30 of them, I mean, you're at a, a million and a half in, in, in exposure, right? So, you know, you can kind of get into that commercial realm. And when you start looking at the commercial side in that million to 5 million range, you know, you're kind of at a point where the big guys aren't really playing too terribly much. You know, they want to be at, you know, 10 million plus, you know, the funds and the, and all of that. And then over a million or so, you know, you kind of price out a lot of the mom and pops for the most part, maybe a million and a half, you kind of price out most of the folks. So there's not a whole lot of folks kind of playing in that ball game. And the tenants typically are much higher quality. You know, you've got much longer lease terms and can kind of really build up an income stream coming off of those that really makes sense over time. 
So that's something we've been digging into really deep. And we started buying bigger assets in 2016. Um, what kind bought, of assets? It was a 25,000 square foot office building. It's in Creek okay. Core. Creek yeah. Core, Missouri. So it's right across from Monsanto's headquarters there. And uh, so we bought that property in 2016. It was only about half leased. We stabilized wow. it in a few nice. months. Now it's 100% leased. It's, it's leased for another nine years. And pretty big check just comes in every month. And it's essentially triple net for the most part, which means that the tenant reimburses us for a vast majority of the expenses. So if real estate taxes go up and insurance goes up, the tenant's responsible for for paying that increase, which is another nice little thing that, that you get on the commercial side that you don't get on the residential side. So there are some avenues there. Um, there's a little bit more complexity to it, but you know, with a little bit of support and, and building a good team, just like anything else that you do, if you we're going to go in another market. You don't know the market. You'd have to reach out to experts there to kind of help explain that a bit. You do the same thing here, right? Brokers and, and market research can get you a pretty good amount, ramped up pretty quickly. So yes, we've been focusing on that. Like I said, that first deal came in 2016. And now um, we own and manage about 110,000 square feet of commercial space, mostly throughout St. Louis. We've got a 35,000 square foot retail and office building, well, retail and office center in Indianapolis under contract right now. We're closing about 60 days on, just finishing up due diligence on it right now. And that'll bring us up. And then we've got we've got two other properties in St. Louis under contract. Um, one's about a 21,000 square foot building in Webster Groves. Oh, and wow. then a, uh, a 70,000, 73,000 square foot retail office, kind of pseudo office industrial property in, uh, in South County, St. Louis. How so, do you find these? Are you actively looking for these things or do brokers bring them to you? Yeah, actively looking. Brokers bring them to us. You know, they don't trade quite as as easily, right? And you have a different look. So, so yeah. And a lot of deals are traded off market, but a lot of the same. So, to, to answer your question directly, yes, some brokers do. But really, how we find them is is working through through bank connections, and we've been marketing to specifically to property owners. You know, a lot of the same things that we do on a day to day basis on the residential side work for the commercial side. But almost to your exact point earlier on the small towns where they're not getting much mail or they're not getting much, they're not getting any on the commercial side. So, um, you know, I should, I should specify that they probably are on the multifamily side, but this is, a, you know, great in demand that they are many investors that are digging those up. So, but outside of, of multifamily office, retail, manufacturing, warehouse logistics, they're, they're probably getting none or, or very, yeah. very little reach out. So that's been an avenue and, you know, and, and just figuring out where, the value adds are like anything else. All that said, we have we are not currently wholesaling much. I think that might change at some point. I think wholesaling might be a little bit more difficult with the time requirements and finding the buyers and, and whatnot. But I think it's certainly doable. So um, for your financing for on these, are you are you just getting bank financing? Are you creating like you know those special funds to raise private money? You know, or you're raising capital. Yeah, thus far we've been mostly using bank bank financing. We are in the process of of building out our first fund, kind of a syndication fund. Which, by the way, there's that you know those guys that used to come to those mastermind meetings I did from Illinois. And they're yeah. they're two brothers, mm -hmm. and they have a dad who's a lawyer. Yeah, it's a uh, Rick. Uh, what are their names? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I know exactly you know, what you're talking about. The two sons are in the business. They do multi mobile homes and whatnot. Yes, yeah. yes. Have you talked to their dad about helping you create the, the syndication and all the legal things with that? Um, you know, I have not. That's a really good point. I know he helped Nick do his. Um, oh, he's helped a couple guys. I think uh, Chris Kleewine, he helped him create okay. a fund. Um, you should definitely reach out to him. And and when I know when he was doing it before, 
very affordable. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we uh, I, I've met him 30 or 40 times. Yeah. So it's silly that I haven't thought of him. But yeah, no, it's a great idea. But uh, I can't believe I can't. For- I can't believe I forgot their names too. Super cool guys. I interviewed them on my podcast, but uh, I can look it up yeah, if right. you can't find it later. But um, the it's it's a, there's a lot of opportunities out there to raise private money, but you got to make sure you do it the right way, and you need to get an attorney to help you set up the structuring to allow that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be SEC approved, you know, and I think all the states, if not a majority of the states, you have to go through the Missouri Division of Finance or yeah, whatever. You've got to get state approval as well. Long story short. And, and just make sure you don't get tripped up. You don't, my understanding is you don't really want to ask for forgiveness with the SEC. Yes, don't. <laughs> you just, oh, so, but anyway, uh, he can help you. Definitely. Perfect. No, that's fantastic. His- I've actually sold his son some houses in South City. But long story short, so yeah, so we've been, we've been digging into building a fund, um, kind of getting that ball rolling. And then I, there are a lot of private money groups that will do commercial real estate lending. Hmm, really? Yeah, more than I would have ever thought. Yeah, my buddy, Greg Harleen, he owns Horizon Trust, but he also owns a, a private money lending group specifically for commercial real estate lending. He's got about $100 million out, and there are, I think, more of those groups out there than most people think. Those groups, then, do you use them to provide the down payment money to, get, to help you get the bank financing that you need, or do they finance the whole thing? Well, it, you know, it's like any hard money lender, but they, they, you structure it however it works. I have not used them yet. We've been digging deeper into them. To date, we've either just brought our own money in for the down payment, or we've worked with local friends and family that we know that, that and then we just create a very simple operating agreement structure. We keep management control and, and we run the deal, but they come in on a more passive basis with, with a capital injection. So the other question I have for you then with these commercial properties, are you managing them yourself or do you hire a property manager to manage them for you? We manage them ourselves and they are substantially easier to manage than residential. It's very black and white. You know, there are certain hurdles that come up initially, I think specifically with like HVAC, because, you know, heating and cooling commercial properties is very different than residential properties. But once you understand that, or once you just get a good company that to go in and, and do it and give you a good analysis specifically during your due diligence is when you want to <laughs> want to get through yeah. that. Oh, it's, sure. It's, you know, it's very simple. You know, the tenants aren't sleeping there. You know, the tenants are there from 730, 8am through seven o'clock at night or so typically. So yeah. it is not um, as pressing and, and they, they understand how things work. It, it's just that their expectations are very often in alignment with what you would think. Yeah. And most times, if you just have relatively good expe- or communication and, and, and set the right expectations, it's a very clean and easy process. And, you know, 25,000 square foot building, I've got one tenant. You know, we've got we've got a 15,000 square foot building in South County. You know, we've yeah. got eight tenants. You know, we've got a, a 10,000 square footer in Wing Haven in, in St. Charles County. We've got one tenant. So we've got 110,000 square feet of space and I've got Maybe 20 tenants. I think substantially. What, what do you have in Winghaven? I'm just curious. We just have a. It's a really kind of more of a retail property, but it's actually leased to a a. a it's a medevac. It's a essentially helicopter ambulance company. Yeah. Do you own that building or just part of that? Part of it. Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking about not so the big building where their headquarters? Yeah. Is, not that building. Okay, I was going to say. An off building. <laughs> yes. Right. I know what you're talking about. It's kind of like where the- Llewellyn's used to be. And um, oh, good for you! I used to because yeah. uh, we lived right by there. I used okay. to go to Llewellyn's all the time. They were there used to be a, a coffee shop there, an, uh, an ice cream shop, little grocery mm-hmm. store. Super cool area. Yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. own that now. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. 
Did yeah, you buy it? Of... McEagle used to own it, didn't they? Does they McEagle did. And I don't know bell? what happened. I don't know if they sold it and some, we ended up buying it through foreclosure. Yeah. There's some, some things happened and as a disaster. But anyway, yeah, good for you. So, it's, a, it's a good, solid area. No, I love the area. The tenant, it, it's a that's a triple net lease. The tenant's got a 13 years left on the lease and uh, wow. just kind of set it on the shelf. Yeah. So that one. <laughs> good, uh, good for you. Yeah, Small exactly. world. I used to work for the guy who owned McEagle when I worked oh, for Parrick. Parrick really? Corporation. Yeah, yeah. Is that Chris? Or well, no, it's brother, right? They have two, there's two brothers and a dad. But Joe McKee is the guy who owns Parrick now. Okay. Yeah, really good family, solid, strong family. I, I like the family a lot. It just ran into some difficult financial things, and um, not all of them, but uh, mainly. Well, I don't want to talk about it anyway. Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, Robert, how can people get a hold of you? Um, you, you know, you're doing deals. You're, I'm sure you're looking for investors. You're looking for people that you can bring you deals to buy. Um, how can people reach you guys? Yeah, so robertheider.com. You know, Robert Heider, H-E-Y-D-E-R. Dot com and we just roll out a new podcast so that's really the website to the podcast but it has all my contact information all my you know all my information yeah so we're you know people have deals specifically people like are looking for and want to get into commercial deals and they they have contacts and they find deals and they don't quite know what the next steps are you know that's a really good avenue that's something that we're we're reaching into dealing indie well uh, kind of worked out that exact same way where they found the deal and they thought it'd be a good one and we're kind of helping them get through it and we'll partner with them on the deal so it looks yeah. like you just you just started your podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, it just I've been it's been in the works for about six months, but it just went live actually this week. Um, awesome. So yeah, Good for you, very excited about it. it uh, I think it's got some pretty good legs, and and it's a little bit different than most, where it's it's kind of talking about scaling a business and getting into commercial real estate investing and kind of bigger bigger picture ideas. But yeah, yeah, and it so looks like um, what's that? Your podcast is called Level Up Real Estate Investing. Correct. Yeah. Take him to the next level, baby. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And might actually even be on your show later on. We'll see. That's right. Yeah. Get it scheduled. I think, uh, you know, I keep on canceling it and it's my bad. <laughs> it's been a cup. It's been a crazy holiday uh, season. No, um, I get it. I've, I've been battling a cold for about a month and uh, I think everyone in my office is, you know, kind of handed it off two or three times now. So uh, it's been tough. So you, you got a good website, corepropertiesstl.com mm-hmm. and stlwholesalehomes.com. Thank you for stealing my domain. <laughs> I, I let it go intentionally. And uh, roberthader.com, R-O-B-E-R-T, Robert, H-E-Y-D-E-R, Robert Hader. You got a great podcast, got some videos there. It looks like you've got a really cool free commercial real estate analysis tool. Yeah. It's a, it's, you're teaching people how to analyze commercial deals, right? Yeah. You know, the first step, make sure the numbers make sense and then, and then dig into the other aspects. So kind of the jump nice. started uh, kind of analyzing it. Well, I'm downloading it right now. Terrific. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the initial step. Our, our goal is to add some additional layers. I've got a uh, kind of Excel, Google sheet kind of guide to uh, build out some more exciting stuff. So anyone that signs up, will have, will have additional layers to that spreadsheet in the very near future here. Very cool. All right, Robert, thanks for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. We should have coffee sometime. And when you get back from Vegas, shoot me a text after the holidays and let's get together. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Joe. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to having you on ours and and then I'll, uh, I'll shoot you a note and we'll, we'll get together, my man. All right. Take care. See you. Absolutely. Thank Stay you. out of trouble in Vegas, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It never yeah. ends well. It never ends well. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll do it. See ya. Bye. See ya.